Good morning, lads and lassies. Good morning, Dan Landry and Steve Seifert. Good morning, Dan Landry and Aaron O'Rourke. So that voice you just heard was Stephen Seifert. The one you're hearing right now is Dan Landrum. And and I'm Aaron O'Rourke. Did we just introduce oh. ourselves twice? We kinda, did. Kind of, but it's broadcast. This is radio. We should do and this again. We should start again. Do you want to start again? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Good. You guys ever thought about the fact that uh, this is radio? It is. No, I haven't thought about that. Yeah, the world has changed. Cool, I think. Yeah. Where pe- people are getting a lot of their uh, internet now via RF, you know, on their cell phones, so it kind of is radio more than it was like four years ago, five years yeah, ago. Yeah, quite a bit. Mm. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, so this is just like a a click clickbait headline, except it's not a headline when it's for a podcast title. The latest Freakonomics you, you guys have read those books? Ever read the Freakonomics books? Only parts yeah. of yeah. yeah, I bought it. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> anyway, the books are good. They've got a podcast now, and the latest podcast uh, is about research and human brains and podcasts and how people really learn a lot from podcasts. They're a, they're a very effective medium of, of communication and learning, not just fun. Okay. It's cool. I think it's cool because we have, uh, hmm, how can I, I'm going to say something that might not be true. I, I think we have this veneration for books for the written word and it's awesome. I'm a, I'm a big fan of books, but books haven't really been around in the scheme of things all that long in the scheme of things. Humans have been passing information down the line by speaking much longer than we've been printing and writing sure. <clears throat> so that it, it makes sense that the human brain would be really good at learning by listening. Sure. I think there's a certain safety that you get from the author's perspective in, uh, with the written word. Yeah. That's right. I know like for, for all my instructional books anyway, like I can, I can delete as many times as I want. And right. one, one of the things I've noticed with doing Dulcimer school is it's hard for me to get past that. Oh, yeah. You have the video. You have to change the way you communicate almost. Yeah. Right. Well, even as I started speaking a few minutes ago, I qualified it like, this may not be true. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know if I was writing it down, I would write it and then rewrite it and rewrite Mm -hmm. it a lot. Yeah. That's all. That's all good. That's why I don't like to write anything down. (laughs) I mean, I prefer to do a video instructional. Really? But... As a consumer, I've enjoyed a lot of instructional books in the past, you know, on different topics. But if I'm going to teach somebody how to do something, man, I'd sure like to just show them with video. I, it almost seems to me like that's the best way. Uh, but it, it might depend on the person. But what I, uh, I've talked about it before, but I just don't want to say, all right, take the pick. And place it so that if, if it were a face clock, it's pointing at 630 on the face of the clock. Hold it between your thumb. I mean, it's just, I don't want to do that. I just want to show them a picture. That's that's funny. I think with um, uh, so often if I need help with something and I go to the internet, I Google search how to blah, blah, blah. I, I 
prefer, if possible, to read something because I can skim through that. Me too. Pretty, if I'm working on my quickly. computer. If it's a video and someone says, okay, so I'm going to show you how to do this. Um, okay, so let me get to this. Blah, blah, yeah, blah, that's and there's true. a whole lot of filler. It drives me nuts. Yeah, but if I've got to change out like the, the kit and the toilet tank, sure, I want to see a video of that. I don't want to read that. But if, if it's how do I go to the command line on my Mac so I can restart the audio engine, sure. I'd definitely rather read that. So, since you said that, Aaron, I, I went to Google and I typed in how to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> how did that turn out? Because I want to know. Yeah. And it says, uh, see, I got the Cambridge Dictionary. Critics always say there's no, me- no melody. The words are stupid, blah, blah, blah. Note used to represent words that have been used too many times before you feel are not worth hearing. Oh. See what you can learn from the internet? I, I guess I kind of knew what blah, blah, blah was. Huh. But back to Steve's point, the the idea of uh, showing a video, this, both of you and I have used this statement before on these podcasts, I know Steve, and it's overused, so now I want to talk about the statement, not use it. And the statement is, uh, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. I think that gets used a lot, but it's silly, because you can talk about music. Well, you- right. Sure, it's you can dance you can about dance about architecture. I can, yeah. Can you? Sure, I'll do it right now. I'm feeling the house, how it protrudes out into the garden. You know, I can move to that stuff. <laughs> you turned the camera off so we couldn't see you. No, that's because I got a call and it turns the camera off. Oh, okay. But yeah, so right now I'm feeling the yard. I'm pressing my right hand into the garage. I'm I'm retracting from the messy garage. It depends on how well, good a dancer you are, Dan. Would we know if you hadn't set that up, though? It's none of your business, necessarily. <laughs> it's a private dance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember signing up for that. <laughs> no, but you can clearly... You can dance about anything. Now, I think the question is, what are you conveying if we talk about music? Well, you certainly can convey a lot. So how is it like dancing about architecture? Because I actually think there's, it's more effective to dance about architecture than it is to talk about music. Well, we're talking about music instruction specifically. Okay, well. And, well, that would yeah. be like dancing about architecture then. Well, and you know that you know, actually... We're we're talking about writing about <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's really that's really deep meta. But it is easier just to show some things if you're trying to show someone, for instance, that as you tighten the string up and it gets higher and higher, you're probably going to feel a little tension not just in the string but also in your core. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you can communicate that better by letting them see you. I think I see. I like to have all these things at my disposal. I can talk about it. I could take photos. I can do audio. I can do video. And if need be, I'll dance about it. And so it gives you what's that whole thing about. um, I mean, it's just having a bunch of different. It's when I go after a tune, I want to hear five different performances of it. I want to look it up in the books. I want to find it on the Internet, you know. But could you 
dance about teaching dulcimer. And to, with the goal being what? Expressive to, dance? To teach. To actually... This I think if you had a video series to teach dulcimer and you danced every lesson, you're a millionaire. Well... Really? But that's different. You're talking no. about the dancing leads directly to conveying kind of non-dance issues about music. <laughs> this sounds like an admonition is about to come out. <laughs> no, because I dance when I teach, but I'm not conveying really? musical information. I'm not well, I'm not I'm I'm only conveying the beat perhaps and the uh, the groove and and my sincerity and my, you know, but you're talking okay, about, could sense. we teach somebody to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich by dancing only? Wow, this podcast is much ado about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you're the one that said blah, blah, blah. I don't know what yeah, that's sorry, a terrible really way to start We apologize to, to those of you who stuck with us this far. Uh, I have several subjects I'd like to raise, and for Great. fear that you guys nix them, but can I just try one? Go for it. I think it's fun... Riffing back on where we started about how this is like radio, and that's what I came from. I was in radio for years. One of the things, uh, and I was at a, I was the manager, hosted Morning Edition at an NPR station. You know, so one of the things that you, one of the goals was to try to localize when it's reasonable national news or international news. Now, I think there's this thing that happens in the news a lot where something major happens. And reporters go out and ask the man on the street for their opinion. I care nothing about that. Because <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Right. And Twitter's making that very clear. <laughs> I think now. But if you can't say something in 140 characters or less, you just shouldn't say it. You shouldn't say anything in yeah. 140 <laughs> characters or less. I, I don't agree but, with all this, but anyway, go on. Uh, okay, well, this isn't where I was going, but let's just go here. You think Twitter is a good thing for society? You're asking us. You, specifically. Well, I could tell you easily without thinking too much some ways it's really good. I'll give you my top two. Uh, first of all, when there's some kind of national disaster or there's an explosion or, right. or there's a, a, a major accident on like 65 North, I'll get on a Twitter search and I can just immediately see what's going on. I like that. I also like with Twitter. Well, wait, don't leave that. Okay. Do we all agree? I think that is what Twitter's good for. Right. That doesn't mean it's accurate, but it, it is when it is accurate, it's fast and it's great. Right. It allows you to get the murmur of the crowd quickly. immediately. I also like with comedians, they talk about how it's such a wonderful practice tool for them to hone their writing craft because you have to say something relevant and funny. And, a, and it, the, some of them feel like it's been a good exercise, a good practice. And plus, hmm. I, that's about the only people I read on Twitter is comedians. I want to see what right. is their one sentence for the day. I get a kick out of that. So, so one of my good friends is a Pulitzer Prize winning editorial cartoonist. Cool. Top of the, top of the world in that, you know. Uh, <laughs> I have to be careful about having heavy discussions with him about his editorial work because it reflects what I think is the problem with what you just said. Now, if you're being a comedian and or, or a satirist, 
and everyone knows that you you're taking a complex subject and you're narrowing it down to something very short that's fine as long as you don't a expect to be taken seriously as that's you know the way it is or if you don't take other people seriously and use that as a news source and allow that to shape your political or social opinion why don't you tell the rest of us what we should do and what we're allowed to do with that. Why would I do that? I don't know. I can have my own opinions about what I allow myself to do. Huh? Gosh, it's hard not to be political this morning. We're doing, we're not being political. I don't think, but, but I think what Twitter does is the opposite of what Aaron talked about. When you write something and you're trying to teach, you write it and you go, Hmm, that doesn't really do it. Right. I'm going to redo that. That's more complicated. It needs more paragraphs. <laughs> it needs more words. And sure, you ought to hone every paragraph down, I guess, as you're writing. But if Twitter is not really effective in the way you're saying, we certainly, as a podcast, are much less effective than even that, I think. I disagree with that. <laughs> I don't know. Because you and I will sit here and disagree with ourselves even not just each other as you say things out loud that's one of the cool things about podcasts is because it's a you and i started doing this if you remember steve because we were wasting time having phone conversations about things right and the idea was (laughs) if we're going to talk for an hour once a week we might as well record it but this (laughs) but you suggesting that we're effective in some way presumes we internally presume we're intelligent and that we can actually mm-hmm. have something to offer the dulcimer world. I mean, right now, we're presuming that this has no, value, and that's not necessarily true. You're doing that thing, Steve. Yeah, well, it needs to be done to balance you out doing the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you're doing that thing where you're telling me what it is I'm presuming, and you can't know that. Now, if you can, I'm anxious to hear how that works. But I think I start from the opposite end of that, where I think I don't know much about anything and I have opinions and questions. And so I ask them and along the way I say, I think maybe it's this way, but I'm totally open to being wrong. I would really appreciate for my productivity and mental state that if you could just put all that in a tweet, (laughs) (laughs) it it really would help me a lot. (laughs) Wow. That's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. So speaking speaking of productivity and mental state, unless Aaron needs to throw in something about the tweets. I don't get Twitter. Thank to, you. To be honest, I at some point I connected it to my Facebook account. So whatever I post uh, on Facebook gets posted on my Twitter feed, but I've just completely forgotten about it. I agree. Well, you know, Twitter's actually, even though it seems really popular because every knucklehead newscast now that's on we don't have cable we don't have regular television but we've been watching i'm kind of a political wonk and so that's another reason i don't talk about it (laughs) on these (laughs) podcasts but i watch a lot of stuff but i'm getting it all online now and we did i mention this last week about the ineffectiveness of having maybe this was just in private conversation when we know that humans don't multitask at some things And one of those things is you can't read something 
and fully digest that while you're listening to someone speak because they use the same centers of the brain. Now, you can listen to music while you listen to somebody speak. There's a lot of things you can do with music on because it's a completely different brain function. But having a debate on and then showing every stupid Twitter comment (laughs) as it comes down the pipe at the same time, that's ridiculous. That's just saying, hey, people, let's just be as stupid as we can be. Yeah, but you know they're moderating that. They probably have a team of 50 people pick, you know, picking those Twitter statements. That are at any moment interrupting the person watching it, their ability to right. absorb what's being said by the primary mm-hmm. content. I, Twitter seems like it's got some neat stuff to it, but mostly it just seems stupid. Well, I mean, I don't have any Twitter followers that I know of. Maybe poor, I do. I never poor, get on there. Poor so. guy. I feel like if I were going to use it for anything, it would be to uh, to stay up really late at night and vent about a lot of stuff. And just throw it out there into the world. <laughs> I think there's a model for that. <laughs> <coughs> I'd recommend against it. <clears throat> Not that this anybody cares, but I'm looking at a uh, profitless revenue growth chart for Twitter right now. And they've been losing more, more and more money all the time and... Just nobody wants to buy them because Twitter wouldn't be that interesting if you had to watch a commercial to hear somebody's stupid thing that they're going to say. I mean, perhaps Twitter is like a mental type of currency. It has value if we trust it and choose to trust it. And I don't... You know, do you remember Puffy stickers in the 1980s? Hmm? Puffy, I remember stickers that were puffy. Okay, well that was it. Is this like a bass, a jazz bass player? I was a passionate and obsessed sticker collector in the eighties. Okay, and when puffy stickers came out, it was awesome. You were like, "That's cool, a sticker that's puffy," you know. But ultimately, you couldn't get a real good image on there, and all of a sudden, everybody's got these plush stickers. Right. So eventually I said no more puffy stickers, you know, and I feel like Twitter is like puffy stickers. You can't buy, you can't find puffy stickers hardly anymore. No, not so much. Or pogs. What's a pog? (gasps) Really? Is that a little (laughs) dog? I was really into pogs. I was into a pog tournament when I was in elementary school. Oh, wait, I know what you're talking about. No, we just hit three different generations, though. Yeah. Because I know about Pogs because of my son. Okay. Steve missed it because he was probably into girls at that point. Okay. And you were probably, what, seven? Yeah, I was in third, fourth grade. Yeah. A Pog. P-A-W-G. No, P-O-G-S. Pogs. What is it? Yeah. I, I, it's a stupid little piece of cardboard. Yeah, it's just it. this circular thing, and you, I, I, you there's that's a pile what I of saw them, and you try head. and flip them over with a heavier one that right. you slam down on them. Well, in my head, I saw a circular cardboard thing with a like a cartoon face on it. That's when you said pog, but I don't even remember ever seeing one. Yeah, you were probably looking down on kids for doing it. No, I never did that. I was the kid. When I was in college at 23, I was playing with yo-yos, juggling balls, balls and jacks. I love that stuff. Oh, oh you cool. definitely, yeah. You were too into something else, I guess. No. I didn't mean two. That wasn't a... I thought you were wow. saying I was into drugs or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed you were too into dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the point That's is... That's how I learned to teach. Da- hmm. Dan. Yeah. <laughs> 
complete that sentence, why don't you? <laughs> the point is, we're we're boring, but these are the kinds of things we talk about. So where I was going to go at the beginning when I was talking about radio and the sort of the what's happening on a national basis, I find it very interesting that the New York Times now has three different writers writing about mindfulness meditation. Really? Yes. Even a weekly column, even a weekly meditation that's Mm. showing up. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with mindfulness, there's so many books and lectures and things that you can look at and read. But it's really just about being calm, paying attention to what's going on around you and quiet, being able to quiet your thoughts, which is the, one of the basic things about being able to go on stage and actually being able to perform, uh, perform music and memorize music and, and all those kinds of things. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not a mindfulness teacher, so I'm going to say something that's wrong for anybody who's really into it, but it's a cool practice to try to apply to, actual practicing on your instrument where you practice a specific uh, rudiment or a riff or something that you're trying to get down and you try to shut off all the thoughts in your head and just keep doing that one thing. Do you guys ever do that? I mean, maybe you don't call it mindfulness, but Uh, I mean, I do that by accident. I think it's, um, I have to be careful if I'm if I'm practicing because two, three hours, sometimes eight hours can get away from me really easily. And now I've got other work to do. So that's not always a good thing. How about you, Steve? Well, I'm reluctant to talk about this because it's so trending right now to talk about this. But I do... <laughs> I remember in high school. Hashtag mindfulness. That's right. That's right. That made me want to hit myself. <laughs> so when I was in high school, we had these electives where like once a month, I think. Once a month, we got like a, um, I don't know. It was like a one hour class one time a month. And this was led by a teacher who taught meditation. And and I'll I'll be brief with this, but that's when I first learned how to slow my mind down. Previously, I could not go to sleep at night. And after I did that class, and it was no it was nothing weird. He just had us breathe and slow down and calm down. There was nothing much more to it. I I actually learned how to go right to sleep from that class. And ever since, when I lay down, I'm usually asleep within seconds. And then I go into music, and I think I experienced a similar mental state when playing. And I and um, you kind of get in this trance, and and I have this theory that when I'm practicing, if I'm not in this certain mental state, there's not much good going on. And it, but as soon as I hit that vibe. It seems like my body and brain absorb and 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 develop things much easier. And then there was the Aaron O'Rourke experience for me, which was he asked me to write out one of his albums, which I maybe did poorly. I don't know. But 
I had to listen to one measure of Aaron repeating half speed over and over again. And when I got that written down, I'd advance with a foot pedal to the next measure. And it was the hardest mental thing I've ever had to do. And one thing that helped me get through it is about every 15 or 20 minutes, I would sit there and just count my breaths and breathe and just slow my mind down for about five minutes. By doing that, I actually was able to get through the whole process. Without that, I felt like I was actually going insane. And now, this is the end of my great essay here. Um, I do find... I was doing it twice a day for 10 minutes each. It seems to extend my focus uh, or my ability to focus deeper into the day if I just take 10 minutes every few hours and just chill. So musically, it's so funny because I feel like, like what Aaron's saying, it happens accidentally, but I... Everything that I experienced doing this without the instrument reminds me of this much bigger experience that's always been with the instrument. I think there's something to it. Sure. Now, we're all flawed, so I'm not picking on... Really, I'm not picking on you, Steve, or me, or Aaron. Uh, but we we know each other well enough that we all know that we have our distractions. You know, sure. Things that keep us from being as productive as we'd like to be. And... I'd like to touch on two things you said, Steve. One is the the going to sleep. The other is just like a quick sidebar. The 10 minutes. I think this is funny. Do you know why? If you pull, you guys all have iPhones, but I I think most phones are this way. If you pull, set an alarm up on the thing and you press snooze, do you know how long that snooze is for? I think it's... going to guess 10 minutes? Nine minutes, isn't it? Do you know why it's nine minutes? Well, you're going to tell us. No, but think about it for a second. Do you know why it's nine minutes? Because you're going to forget about something in nine minutes? I don't know. No, no. No psychology in this whatsoever. It's mechanical. Because it used to be that way on the old clocks? That's right. Why was it? (laughs) Because you had to flip another digit on the digital clocks. Oh. or, Or hit another, I don't know. Hit another gear or something if they were gear-based clocks. I've had seven-minute snoozes, though, on mechanical clocks, I think. That doesn't well, seem nine likely. Nine minutes is what they always used to be set okay. up to, and, and they're still set up that way. It's like, huh. yeah, it's, yeah. Well, Steve, just sure. if I could just interrupt real quick, I wanted to tell you um, that practice of notation and listening to things at half speed, I feel your pain now. Uh, you were helping <laughs> me back before I had a computer i think or before i had tabletted or anything like that and now, before he could talk he was writing right. this complicated stuff <laughs> no. speak. Well, well now for uh every time i re- i release a new song on patreon i go back and i listen to it at half speed and i tab it out and even though i have the basic framework of what i'm doing uh there's all this subtle phrasing stuff that happens like the the eighth note early and just little things that happened on this particular take that might be a happy accident that I like a lot. And it takes me, even though I know everything I did, I can play it. It takes me on average about four hours, uh, to do, to notate one of these, uh, Patreon arrangements from start to finish listening to it at half speed. I remember when I, I've done a number of 
books for people where I listen to their stuff, you know, uh-huh. and I tend to get, if you think that a typical fiddle tune, which I guess totals 32 measures of four, four, I guess, mm-hmm. if the beats are on one and three and that I can usually tab that out in like a minute or less. Oh yeah. But when I'm listening to somebody and I'm trying to write down what they're doing, that, you know, you do the A and then you repeat the A, you do the B, you repeat the B. Mm-hmm. That whole thing averages an hour. Sure. So I remember when I did your thing and I, you were like, I want you to do this one and this one. That'd be A-A-B-B-A-A-B-B. That would be like two and a half hours, two hours, 45 mm-hmm. minutes. And that that constant looping of that slow thing, that was insane. Right. But let's get this straight because this has always bothered me. That thing you mentioned about the eighth note early. Uh huh. In Dulcimer, we often get somewhere, well, especially when you're a new player, I think. You end up getting somewhere a little early. Uh, your, your fretting hand gets there a little before it really needs to be there, which what that does is it cuts off the current note. And, and then as you start to press and slide, you're actually going to hear that next note before most people would sing it and so then as you become a better musician i think your timing your timing starts correcting that a little bit and so i know on my mountain dulcimer record um it just that's the title of the thing i could have come up with a better title i imagine but there's a whole lot of places where i'm getting to the next note an eighth note early pretty consistently and it starts to become a style of mountain dulcimer and i've actually Mm -hmm. come to enjoy it and i can turn it on and off i like to hear it for a little bit and then i like to turn it off and have things starting anyway that whole thing i want to say this i could tell you're getting ready to talk yep when i did this thing for you i think i just had the greatest tension and I like this kind of thing. Do I represent it with the tab? Do I leave it out, which then is not what Aaron's playing? Like, it's been a constant source of pain and sorrow for me that I, even in my own playing today, if I have to write out what I'm playing. Like, so what's your take on all this? I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, I, I don't think that that's the tendency of a beginner, like you had mentioned. I think when you listen to a lot of beginners. I think that one of the reasons why they tend to sound more rigid on mountain dulcimer is because there's none of that happening. They care. They seem to care a lot about not getting to that note until you see it written on the page and not just you, but also, I mean, with, with a lot of other dulcimer performers that play old time music, that happens a lot where they're going to that eighth note early. I think like you mentioned on your mountain dulcimer record, uh, I think I got that from you uh, because when I first started playing, well, it was like about two or three years into. Uh, can, can I just interject something? Okay. <clears throat> I'm bored. Can I accompany you guys lightly with my soft hammers? Um, n- yeah. Mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. Can we first hear 
an example of this. I'll listen better if I'm doing. No, can we first? No, 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 no. Can we first? Can we first? Please hear Aaron demonstrate what we're talking about. Like, oh yeah, yeah, play old Joe Clark with a simple strum or something like it, um, where you're absolutely nailing everything right. Right. And then do so the one where you get there early. You're likely, I think you're likely to see old Joe Clark written out with all quarter with notes. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. no. Do that again with, uh, do some eighth note strums with that. Now, the way a lot of people would play that with a bum ditty strum might sound like this if you hear it in a dulcimer There we go, jam. there we go. Okay, that's example two. Now, by rushing the notes a little bit Wait, early, Dan, wait. He's going to give you the yeah. third example. <laughs> it might sound something like this. That's right, and there's an example four, where every time you get to a note early, you don't strum it, you slide in. Yes. How do you do that? Let me try it. Let me try it. Wait, wait. Before you do that, Steve. Wait, I'm, I'm inclined to hammer on and pull off for every single one of them instead of slide. I slide a lot. You're talking about the one finger approach or the noter approach. I, can, can I just add my very first flat picking lesson on the dulcimer? No. My instructor told me to do what you just did. What's that? To anticipate that one. I did? On flat picking, yeah. That's one of the exercises. Yeah, that but you he gave meant me. rhythmically. He, and oh, we were t- yeah, we were talking about just pattern based. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, Dan, your turn is coming. But I listen to this. So here's here's what I would do. I'm I'm using one finger of the left hand. I'm gonna go check Twitter. So that but listen, this is important, Dan. If we have to listen to you bang on that big multi string nightmare of an instrument, then just listen for a minute to this because it's important. Oh, that was a little heavy-handed. So, <laughs> a little. <laughs> Actually, I want to hear how this would translate to him. I do too. I really second. want to hear it. I'm not even sure what you guys are talking about. Well, I'm we're gonna check yeah. Twitter. We're gonna explain it. <laughs> so, Aaron. Yeah. I think it often starts unintentionally, and maybe you're right. It's not the beginner, but maybe to me, it's the intermediate who's playing a lot. It it often to me comes from an intermediate, perhaps who's actually playing a lot. Sure, and I don't think they well, planned is, any of this out, and and right. and then I went through a phase where I tried to eliminate it, mm-hmm. and now I'm back to where I can allow it to happen sometimes. I think just because uh, someone's not aware that they're doing it, <laughs> well, I think of a lot of Irish players, like really good Irish players, that are not aware that they're playing. Their ornaments are somewhere in between that's, a triplet right. or a two sixteenth two sixteenths and an eighth note but it's still really good and i know in working with groups of people uh because i've taught them (laughs) pointed this out and got them doing this purposefully there's a really big difference that happens whenever they start anticipating these eighth notes 
on the and beats a little bit early and going to melody notes a little earlier than they're written. Well, we hear a if fiddler a, do a that, but it's note. not like right. like we do where but it's like every soon, note. As soon as a group does this, it, and this is just an opinion and personal preference, but it's amazing how it goes from sounding super rigid to actually having some flow. Yeah, but we do it more than anybody. Maybe a dobro does right. it as much as we do sometimes or mm-hmm. more maybe sometimes. It, sure. I don't hear a fiddle or a mandolin or a guitarist doing much of this. There is a good amount on fiddle if you, uh, in the old field recordings because I ran into the same problem notating really? those. Yeah, I've notated a lot of old 78s and it never occurred to me. That doesn't mean it's not there. I'll have to go check it out. All right, so Dan, so, Dan you may now Hammer speak. Dulcimer. Can we, can we hear how this would sound on Hammer Dulcimer? Can you even do that? I wouldn't want to try it. Yeah, you, you can do it. I can't do it. So just play like a quarter note version of Old Joe Clark, the A part. Okay, now do like a bum ditty rhythm. That same phrase, da, 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 da. I would probably have a drone going. Oh well, yeah, I yeah. know that's how you that's how you would do it. Play it for me. Play for me. So. Right now, instead of that, keep that rhythm. This but this go. is the hard part. Are you patronizing yeah. me? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually refreshing. I enjoyed that. But now here okay. comes the hard part. Now. The and beats, you're going to go to the next melody note a little early, so it'll sound like this. Yeah, nobody... Yeah. Does anybody play like that other than us and Adobro, really? Intentionally? Now try and make those and beats just a little bit lighter. It's about impossible, dude. <laughs> so that was back to the old way. So you want to hear? I have to. It's weird for me because I have to lean away from right. the dulcimer to get into the microphone. Play it for me one more time. Stop. Yeah. Okay. That Aaron, exactly. nobody plays like that hardly. Yeah, you don't hear that on Hammer Dulcimer. Listen to if you but sing it, But that's what's man. happening oh, on Mountain Dulcimer quite a bit when you're playing these old-time oh, tunes. Oh, Joe Clark was a mean Can I watch you do it man. Sure. That's just goofy. All right, stop. The reason is, is because, I mean, the reason I think that is on the Hammer Dulcimer versus the Mountain Dulcimer is because you're doing that on the upstroke. Right. On the Mountain Dulcimer, and you would tend to be doing a, you know, a, a single-hand lead. Right At that speed, the right hand, if you're right-handed, is going to be playing all those notes. Now, if it was really fast, you might get that happening if the left, if it was something that was fast enough so that the and had to be played with the left hand, the right hand couldn't do all the notes that might happen. Right. So if you did something like a right, right, left, right, right, left, Yeah, but who wants to play that or hear it? Well, so I guess what I'm saying is it would be harder for you to do if you did it this way. 
down, 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 down. No, right, not down. much. Not much. No, it's not any harder. <laughs> you guys are both making faces like it is harder, though. You're saying it's not, but you're having to think more. It happens naturally well, it's not the other intuitive. way. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know you guys are both expert. Everything's no, easy no. for you. I can see how it would be. It, it would absolutely be less intuitive. <laughs> this is intuitive the thing, Aaron. We're supposed to settle this right now. I don't hear other instruments doing this except dobro, and then we do it. And maybe I hear it on like a koto or something. But you're hearing it everywhere. You, it's the new way. It's the new Twitter of music. Is or the? I, I, no, I, I would not say that. Um, <laughs> But I would love to make a hashtag early eighth notes a worldwide trending topic right now. <laughs> well, I think it's a charming part of our sound. It's a charming part of the Dobro sound uh, once you get control of it. But another part of me hates it because if I have to teach this, mm-hmm. I usually like to get people to sing something before they play it. And trying mm-hmm. to get somebody to sing what we were just doing is weird. So you hate it because it's less teachable. No, that's one of the reasons I hate it, and I also love it. it. It's something that's... I know a way to say it. It's almost like it's accidentally happening, and then we try to clean up what was an accident, and now it's an intentional cool thing. What is it, then? And you think that's a bad thing? I think it's also a good thing. Okay, I have my Damn. hand up. Damn. So I think it's like setting down and lifting a great weight. It would be either easier to set it down in rhythm and have it hit the spot that it's going to land on than it would be to lift it up through a point in the air at the right timing. And so you're lifting this thing back up and it's going to tend to move in fits and starts, not be smooth when you're first starting out. I feel like you're close to what we're talking about, but I'm not smart enough to track what you just said. It would be the equivalent if I had to hit a string coming like... Not just on the downstroke, but also when I came back up, I had to hit the string at the top. Just the whole motion's different. Not that mm-hmm. this matters. But. It's like, you know, an audio echo, like a, we, we call them a delay device in the studio. You play a note, you immediately hear an echo, and you can set it to be like a quarter note late or an eighth note late. Imagine having a delay device in the studio that. Every once in a while, it takes a note you're getting ready to play and gives it to you an eighth note before you play it. That's crazy. I don't think that's crazy. I think well, it's I mean, crazy. if it were electronic and you weren't expecting it, then yeah, that well, is crazy. In one case, it's a delay. In the other, it's a slapback. But I it's mean, a reverse slapback. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Like, but <laughs> to me, it's the difference between this. right and i like both and your second one sounded awesome the first thing you did you could have put a little more into that and i think both of them sound good i feel like i put too much into that one and trying to be perfect right right on and by rushing some of those eighth notes it's still staying in time it's not 
really rushing. You just but it didn't is going do it well. It's early, but you what? You didn't do it well. But you, no, I didn't. You could have because I hear you do it all the time. No, that second one. No, I nailed the it. The second one you nailed. That's it. the best I've ever played. That the song. second thing you nailed. Yeah, the second thing. The first thing. The first one. You almost did it with a mocking toad. <laughs> <laughs> I think that both again? of those. <laughs> <laughs> now he's patronizing you. <laughs> I think that both of those are good. I like both of them. I don't want to just be one or the other. Okay. I like the second one better. Wow, you're messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Why is that messed well, up, Steve? Yeah. Well, part of it's me trying to be funny. But. You should stick to Twitter. <laughs> part of it, though, is. Um, You're good at that. My goodness. Can I get in front of a group of musicians and cleanly execute something that just occurs when you expect it to? I mean, if I'm always doing the slide in an eighth note early, if that's just pervasive in my playing, it's not as special anymore. So by well, doing I didn't it less, do it in that second time. By doing it less, I feel like there should be a moderator here. By doing it less, um, it's more special when I choose to do it. I feel, you know, I don't know. It's like getting a, it's like getting a cool paint and overusing it or something. I mean, I yeah, used to use it constantly. That's what I'm talking about. I sure. I would be willing to take this bet at almost any amount of money. That if you gave me a recording of two people playing the same thing, and it's old Joe Clark, I could tell you which one was Don Petty and which one was Janita Baker. Well, yeah, that's, well, sure. that, yeah, that's right. And some of that has to do with, you know, they have styles. They have the way they play. That's mm-hmm. right. And they'd both be good. Well, just know that I look up to Aaron a great deal and I always expect him to pretty much do everything hard and easy and <laughs> awesome and wonderful thing i can imagine i you're telling me that it's you don't up. sometimes just play angelina baker like uh that made me uncomfortable right there that made me feel bad a little bit that made you uncomfortable what? it made me feel like you were st- trying to play as if that you weren't able to do it right no, no, I was playing it from the You could have put some more. I was a good You could have, yeah, a little more. Oh, no, 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 no. I was kicking butt on that one. I want to hear you do it again, Angelina Baker, the square way, like you mean it. Do it like you mean it. The square way? Yeah, where you don't, you don't get there an eighth note early. That's not early. That was early, too. I think you meant it more that time. I enjoyed that. That's because I put some early stuff in there. Okay. So, but see, I'm inclined to play. Yes, me too. But do you want to do that all the time? No, I think you. I get what Dan's saying about a style. It's hard to sneak in with the hammer dulcimer. <laughs> Okay, well, here's a stylistic difference then. But I like flat picking incorporating some early and late notes instead, so it's not just the sliding around. Mm 
Yeah, I like all that. But what about when you want to contrast yourself with something just simple to set you up for doing something crazy later? Sure. Well, I think... Yeah, but to me, to me, just going... You did two of them. (laughs) To me, that is simple. And and it is contrast. Yeah, that's right. And then maybe your next one would be a little but crazier. I'm, I'm doing. I, that was that. There were a whole bunch of early notes in there. There were. There, I can feel the auras of our listeners bashing into each other as they shake their heads back and forth. Nobody and wants to hear this. I get it, but it's something that <laughs> it's something that Aaron and I needed to talk about. I think I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go down with this one. It's an important thing to consider, and I appreciate that I've been able to have a little more self-consciousness about it. And I, and I appreciate the, the opportunity to, to hear what Aaron thinks about it. This doesn't yeah. pretend well about the productivity of the rest of the day for any of us. Oh, no, I'm going to be able to move on just fine. Are you? Okay. Oh, yeah. I think we're all yeah, going to be able to move on. I was going to teach this on Dulcimer School. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Good, yeah, because people want to know that. I mean, what I got from this conversation is that Dan sees auras, and that is, <laughs> that's pretty huge. <laughs> well, I did until my karma ran over my dog. Nice. Yeah. That was right. Yeah. I'm firmly aware that I could be obnoxious, obsessive, oh. obsessive selfish, okay, self-focused, uh, what, what, uh, you know. Aaron and I had a, had a mild kerfluffle yesterday we did over uh whether the word selfish is a negative word oh for goodness sake oh yeah because i feel like i use it a lot without i don't feel like i'm bashing myself when i say well i'm being a little bit selfish i think selfish is what do you think steve well since i just told like a bunch of people that i think i'm selfish i don't want to now suggest that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) is it okay to talk about the context that we were talking about it in? Sure. Okay. Carefully. So, <laughs> no, no, so, it's actually appropriate. We're, we're talking so, about concerts. Yeah. So I did two concert sets back to back. And the first night I did something that I thought the audience would enjoy. And they responded very positively to it. The second night I decided to do an experiment and do something I considered to be selfish. I didn't know how the audience would respond to it, but um, it was a bit more laid back. Uh, Technically for me, it was challenging, but it was, uh, I think the technique was a bit more subtle and was not as, you know, outwardly pyrotechnic, if that makes sense. And so I was just, when I was telling this to Dan, I said, you know, so the second night I was being kind of selfish. And I don't, I don't think that's not that it matters, but I don't think that's the right word there because it's not selfish. It's just you were doing what you needed to do in order to to be a good musician, which is play things that you enjoy as well. Yeah, but I know what he means. I mean, you have to define this term because it really can mean many things. Right. And I, you know, that part of that uh, solo from um, the Beach Boys. What's that drum solo, Dan? <laughs> the da 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 da. What is that? You're not. T- you're talking about wipeout. Wasn't the Beach Boys, but 
Well, they did it. Do you mean Wipeout? I, who did that? Ventures? Oh, some no-name band or something. Oh, come on. But I think... I'm going to go look it up. Anyway. Johnny and the Surfers or something like that. Okay, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, it's here. I'll play it on Hammer Dulcimer since I don't know. Yeah, let me hear it. Wipeout! That's yeah. what I mean, right? It's very repetitive. Oh, wait, let's play it, Eric. No, I don't know it. No, no, you're just going to do this. Right, Steve. What are the what are the notes? I don't know, dude. <laughs> All right, man, we can't play wipeout. No, but wait, you played the rhythm, and that was cool. Uh, but in the song, it's very repetitive. But people love that, and sometimes I watch an audience, and they do seem when the musician gets really pyrotechnical. It seems like the audience Surfer doesn't Joe. notice it as much. But w- wait, say that one more time, Steve. When the musician on stage just gets super fancy, the kind of stuff that other musicians enjoy to hear, you know, mm-hmm. to listen to, enjoy listening to, um, the audience doesn't seem to react as much. But sometimes I notice when a musician takes a solo and they do a highly repetitive thing over and over again. Like they really mean it. You know, they put everything into it. The audience reacts more to it. Well, Steve, you said something a long time ago. Uh, um, that that stuck with me, and I think it was accurate. You said, you know, some some audience members listen with their eyes. Well, in Aaron Rodgers in school, they taught her that people listen with their eyes. I think that's where I got it. It was Aaron. Oh, okay. Aaron May now. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I and I think, I think as far as pyrotechnics go, I mean, there there are some things that are technically difficult for us, but aren't obviously so. And I think that there's there's a lot of pyrotechnic stuff uh, that you're that you might see at the that you know, some mountain dulcimer concerts that some of it looks a lot harder than it, well, than it really too. is. And I, I think from what I've seen and I might be wrong, just my own experience. I, I think I see that get more of a response from the audience. Well, because it's a visual art as well. I, I agree. And it, I yeah. think hammer dulcimer excels at some of this. You, you're visually way more interesting to right. me than Aaron is to me. Right. I'll listen to Aaron, but I'll I'll listen and stare at Dan. I don't stare at Aaron if that makes you feel any better, Aaron. <laughs> I'm working on having a cool goatee. But. Now, if I'm sitting in front of Aaron, like three feet away, I'll stare at him. The, I'll watch his hands the whole time. Makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, because see, in the last podcast, he <laughs> yes, says like, yeah. oh, and I stare into Aaron's eyes. <gasps> That's yeah, but here hey, was the, we got to get this cleared. It was the safaris. The safaris. I thought safaris. the Beach Boys covered it later. I don't know. But but I don't know. But what what Aaron is saying when he says selfish, I feel that every time I'm on stage, because sometimes I just want to play something and make it up just make up something on the spot the way I'm feeling and I rarely do that because I feel like I'm being a little selfish if I do that but sometimes I let myself do that as an intro into a song or a segue and a medley and I'll just say I'm going to be a little selfish right here I just I feel like I know what he's talking about am I 
Am I on the same page? Yeah, I think so. Well, I think you do what the situation calls for, if you're able to know what that is. I had a feeling that the second set that I played was not what the situation called for. Okay. For the audience, anyway, okay. as far as audience preference. However, that gets into something else we've talked about before. Don't underestimate the audience. And also, it's kind of a matter of being like playing the role of psychic. You're very likely to be wrong, or at least I yeah, feel Yeah, but like. you can be right about where your head is. Right, and, and my head was wanting to play what I played. Yeah, yeah, the so the situation set. was calling for that. That's Okay. And so the way you executed that, I don't know, I just think this is all about being back to mindfulness. Okay. <laughs> you know, about being present and being really aware of, of focusing on one thing. And if something has your attention, you either have to give it your attention or or stop letting it have your attention if you're trying to do something else. You mm-hmm. know, and that's the choices that we get to make, right? And picking out right. picking out songs or picking out what we're gonna work on and that kind of thing. But I think this is great because we're talking about being on stage and being considerate of the listener and balancing their wants and needs with our wants and needs. And here on this very podcast, we maybe have completely left behind the listener. Yeah, this is probably our worst podcast ever. No, come on. But <laughs> I've noticed that you guys talk about the podcast that you're doing quite a bit. Too much. <laughs> Too much. It's like a regular thing. And, and that's, what, that's one of the cardinal rules. I think it's because I'm insecure. About, you know, about doing a podcast. I don't even think we should start one. <laughs> These are all just betas. <laughs> so, I played for a wedding this weekend. Uh, and it was, it was a fantastic time. I just want to toss this in right now about about musicians and weddings. Here we go. If you don't like doing weddings... Please don't do weddings. Right. Right. But if you recognize, uh, this is judgmentally sound, sounding that way, and I don't mean this, but let me just say from my own standpoint, when I get to do a cool wedding, there's always a point during the wedding where I think, man, I would pay to get to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want them to know that because you're experiencing these incredible moments that are going to just stick with people right throughout their entire lives. Yeah. Be a, be a part of the scene. And that's one where I don't tend to do pyrotechnics. I'm constantly focused on the bride the entire time. Yeah. This particular one, the wedding was up near the Chattooga river and it's a family that owns a, uh, wild water. It's wild water limited. You know, it's, they own multiple places of these and they do do that kind of thing. And the guy, the the groom, I had I told him, you know, I really enjoy this. He was thanking me and stuff, and I said, I just I just love this so much because you get to be involved in weddings, and everyone is happy, or at least they want to be happy. You know, they're preset to be happy with what you do. And he said, you know what? That's exactly why we like our business. Oh, because people show up here. They don't. <laughs> you don't say, hey. Let's go raft down the Okoe because it'll be boring <laughs> <laughs> or because I want to, yeah. you know, look inwardly. They're like, no, I want to have a good time. And so in the processional, recessional, the last song of the wedding, it was a mashup of 
Ode to Joy, Dueling Banjos, and You Are My Sunshine. <laughs> At my last wedding two weeks ago, I definitely did two of those. <laughs> I did, did you really? I did not do... Dueling Banjos. No way. Yeah, but this was by the Chatuga, which is where that river was, was filmed. Yeah, a lot I mean, of things happened by the river. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm bringing this thing back in to mindfulness. Oh, great. Yeah. <clears throat> we need that, actually. Maybe. Uh, you can only do one thing at a time. And I'm down to magazine crunch time right now. And really need to get... To, what is today? The 18th of October? And the... Oh. I think so, yeah. I know that's scary, oh, isn't wow. it? Yeah. Dulcimer Players News needs to go out before November 1st because it comes out in November. We'd like for the fall issue to hit, you know, so people that are advertising books and CDs or dulcimers or whatever kind of hit that holiday market when people are getting near Thanksgiving. And we'll make it, but we're in crunch time right now. Right. Which is the hardest time for me to focus. And so what I told myself this morning was my goal today, not that I'm going to get these 500 things done, is that I'm going to do one thing at a time. And I had to make myself start that at the beginning, which means I always listen to the news first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'll also like check Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and I almost did it. It was like, nope, don't do that. If you want to do this, do this, do this thing. But sometimes you recognize that well, I, I need a break from this. So you should just stop and do it. Stop and do it. Does that make sense? I mean, if something is really going to pull your attention away, just stop and let it pull your attention away. Right. And and get it out. Uh, <clears throat> also, going way back to what Steve said probably 30 minutes ago, as much as you, you giggle and make those faces about you know mindfulness and those sorts of things, I've learned a lot from you about focused productivity because when you are on dude you are incredibly on and even back to you mentioned just kind of passing learning to sleep learning to go to sleep tell us about that because other people can benefit from that i'm the worst at focus of anyone when I know. you're focused you're the best it seems like if i can get focused i can pump stuff out what are you asking me? You just shocked me by. You're, <laughs> you're asking me how so to many go times to sleep. I wish I could shock you. <laughs> well, here's. You're asking about sleep? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good practical one. Let's give some, some useful information. Oh, this is hilarious. This is where For everybody turns off. But I'll end it with Dulcimer because that's where it helped me the most. That whole idea where you're standing over a river and these thoughts come. And they just float on down the river. I don't have to eliminate the thoughts. I don't have to stress out about them. I don't have to try to even quiet my mind. I just want to breathe. And I, things come and they just go. And the more I worry about it, the, 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 the worse it is. So I just, they come and they go. And, and if I just focus on my breathing, I start to feel a mental state that reminds me of a peak playing state with dulcimer. And it's a buzzy feeling 
I feel like my brain's buzzing a little bit and then I'm, I'm asleep. I'm, and this is something that got better over the years, but where it happens with dulcimer is if I lay in bed and I actually think of playing, not practicing, not playing alone in my bedroom, but if I just see myself on a stage and I completely just start making up music in my head, that buzz feeling comes fast and hard and I'm just totally asleep. It's weird. I, I don't know what all that is. Mm, we need more of that. We need to understand that better, Steve. I think the magic, the piece of magic that people are trying to get from a performer is how did you do that? And we know about the the 99% of the stuff that you can learn. I mean, you learn about chord structure, you learn about picking styles, you learn about all this, but how do you pull it all together? And what does that feel like? And you're talking about using that exact same thing for going to sleep. So it seems like you've learned to do this. We want to be able to do that too. <laughs> Go to sleep. Mm. You do it. We all do it. Aaron does it. I think, but yeah. but we're back to dancing about architecture, because I'm trying to get you to use your words <laughs> to sort of describe that as much as you can, but it's hard to describe. I know that um, if I'm feeling really good about something, let's say the bills are paid, something good just happened, you just spent some time with people you love, you got some time off, and you get to do something awesome tonight or tomorrow. When I jump into the car to go to whatever's next and all that, everything's going great. I always think of how I, I buckle my the belt with with gusto. Uh, I, I buckle, I throw that seatbelt in confidently without thinking. I put the car into drive without thinking. Everything's without thinking. I can feel my whole body doing hundreds of things. That, I, that are so internalized now, I don't have to manage them. And I'm just feeling great, and I'm, <laughs> I'm driving, and I'm not thinking, and I'm driving a stick shift maybe. And I sometimes get into this p- place where I think my body is working without my managing of it. And I think, man, this is what I'm going for in music, is to, if I can get everything to be as effortless is putting on a seatbelt. I don't even look at the little slot that seatbelt goes in. You know, I don't even look at it. Boom, it's in there. I don't know. I feel like it's a ton of autopilots kicking in. And the one thing I am thinking is enjoy this drive. You know, that's what I feel when I'm playing. I got all these autopilots going on, and my number one job is mean this. Do it like you mean it. Enjoy it. And I do have to not be selfish. I got to manage uh, paying attention to people a little bit. Did you ever have to get over stage fright? Is this a trap? No. There's so many questions. What, what about? Did you ever have to get over? Because I think people encounter on the way to where it is you're talking, trying to get them to go an overwhelming fear. I only have stage fright, and I know this to be certain. I only have stage flight when the necessary autopilots, when I'm not confident in those autopilots. You know, they just don't exist. 
if if something's going on and I know I can't trust hundreds of these automatic processes to do their thing, that's when I get nervous. How do you know? What would a sign be that you can't trust one of the processes? Is it a little blinky light? <laughs> yeah, because this is crazy. If it's something I can just emotionally and mentally step away from and it still does it. If if it's something that if I've got a bunch of those going on, then I'm in home. I'm on home field, you know. But if there's a bunch of things where I can't let it alone and it do its thing, then I get nervous. All right, I'm not. This is not a trap, and I'm not accusing you of being dishonest. I'm just trying to put some flesh on this thing. Are you really telling us the truth? <laughs> Let me I mean, think you, about that. Are you that. really able to recognize this is an area that's going to make me have a hard time performing right now? Identify that and put it in the river and send it on down. Am I being honest about? I mean, did I describe it the way? Did I describe it accurately? Say it again. You've got this thing that you recognize is going to keep you from being distracted so you can't go to your, forgive the trite saying, but your happy place while you're performing. And it's bugging you and you know, you know, it's just going to sit there and poke at you the whole time. And what you described earlier sounded like you identify that and you just throw it in the water and you just let it float on. No, 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 no. If there's something that's going to cause a glitch, then that something has to be, if possible, completely eliminated. You got all right. Wait, wait. And Let me make if this I practical, but listen, if I'm in a situation where I can't eliminate it, then I see if I can do a third of it or a half of it, and then I start to sacrifice core processes just to have this thing be around, and that's when I start getting really nervous. Let me give you an example, a real world example. The humidity is just right, so that that one mustache hair hair curls up and pokes you and in the nose, touches your nose. I hate that. <laughs> It's not that hey, it's annoying, dude. It's that it's... What do you do? It's not that it's annoying. Like right now, if I had to watch your grandson, I could do that right now as long as we're not recording over this podcast. But it, if you said, hey, can you watch my grandson while we record the podcast? I would say like, can, can we please find somebody else? Because he's going to end up out in the street. You know, I can't. It's just... There's certain things that the things that make me nervous are the things that are going to end up out in the street. And, and there's everything in between, you know, it's not one or the other. Well, in in mindfulness, the idea is if you've got that one mustache hair that's curled up and that's touching the end of your nose, that can make some people crazy. And the idea is that you, you reckon it's really odd but if you stop right now and think about it, while there's not a mustache hair touching your nose, you'd think, well, that really shouldn't make someone crazy because that's just, you know what it is. It's just a hair and it's just touching your nose and it's just a sensation on your body somewhere. And in mindfulness, you just recognize it. And you have become skilled, though, at actually recognizing it and allowing that. It's what you said, Steve. You're like, okay, this exists. Now I'm going to focus back on something else. Yeah, but that's different to me than you're in an airplane and you want to hit that one autopilot feature that levels the wings. 
and you go to hit it and it's not leveling the wings. So the first thing you think is that that system is broken. I'm, I'm I cannot use that in my flight today. And if I, and and sometimes in music you end up having to use in something that's broken and you're hoping it'll come through. It's I can I can always just let something go and decide not to be nervous about it. But let's say you're being paid a good deal of money to pay for fi- play for five thousand people. You're the culmination of the event. You got a hundred and fifty orchestra players behind you. Your name is at the top of the program. People have gone to great lengths to do this thing. You know, like when I had to play that last piece that Connie Ellisor wrote for me. Um, that thing was thirty minutes long. I can't tell you how nervous I was. And then Mark out in Oregon, that thing. It's not that I just need to chill. It's that you have processes that aren't ready for prime time. And everything I do is to get them ready so that I can push that button when I'm on stage and let it just exist where I don't have to think about it. But I have to practice to get that to happen. But the process, you're talking, you said the process isn't ready for prime time. You're not talking about the piece. I'm talking about, let's say, a two measures of a, the fourth movement that are insane. All right, well, that's part of the piece. But I'm talking about your emotional stability. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get nervous. I'm, but there, I, There's an assumption I'm making. <laughs> what is your assumption? <laughs> emotional stability. <laughs> No, but what I was asking you is, yeah, do you recall getting over that? And same thing for you, Aaron. Do you were, did you ever have to do that? Um, I'm not over I don't it. Think, yeah, I don't think I, I am over it uh, in a big way. I, I still get nervous when I perform. I still get nervous when I teach. The thing with teaching, though, is that momentum usually takes over because you have it's going in two directions and same thing with performing to some extent, but it's you, when you're teaching, you have other people playing. There's a lot more for you to react to both on an individual basis. And as a group with performance, um, sitting backstage, there's more time, at least for me to think about it and think all the things I'm nervous about for no apparent reason. Yeah, I hate other than that. There's going to be people watching me. And I know for me, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but uh, sort of the the fine line that that's a little bit dangerous sometimes is to get so nervous that sometimes I go, you know what, uh, I just, I need to not care. Nothing good ever comes from that. And so... It's a strange balance you have to yeah, do. So, yeah. so for me, sometimes, like, I'll if I can, I'll try and dress up a little bit or something just... The thing is, if you put on a tie or you know a nice shirt, even though it might not seem like a big deal, you can't fake that you actually care about how this comes off right now. And so, for me, some people don't need that. For me, I kind of like that extra step to keep me honest to some extent. Um, but uh, but I also think I've seen this in workshops quite a bit. There seems to be a very direct relationship between uh, when, a, when a student or a participant is under the impression that this thing that we're about to do is too hard for them and it's going to be impossible. And then when they actually accomplish it, depending on how hard they think it, if they think it's super hard, they're going to be that much happier when they finally 
uh, when they accomplish it in class. And it's like this, whoa, I didn't know that I could actually do that. And it, I feel the exact same way when it comes to performing. The more nervous I am, if I feel like it actually goes well, the happier I am at the end. I can't. And if I'm yeah. totally indifferent, then no matter how the uh, the concert goes, I'm I'm totally indifferent. But I try and stay away from that as much as I possibly can. I there's it's just it comes down to your some things you're prepared to do and some things you aren't, and there's everything in between. Uh, there's a lot of what I do where I'm not nervous anymore at all. But there, uh, I don't. But there's definitely times when I'm super nervous, and there's everything in between. Yeah, <clears throat> can. I, I don't think it's just that though. What what's more complex than that? Yeah. What is just what? Well, I think I mean it's not just being ready to play or not to play. I mean, there's also for me anyway. There's this insecure part, like, oh, is the audience gonna like what I what I want to do? Like we were talking earlier about playing the right. I try to turn that off, like Dan's saying. I try to let that float under the bridge because I. I, like if, I can't do much about that. I could just go out there and be the best me I can be. That's my best shot at getting through it. Okay. So for, for me anyway, there's there's this self-defense mechanism that comes in if playing an original song that has some sort of deep meaning behind it or was uh, came to be around this sort of trying time or something. And there's even though you're not telling the audience that's what it is, that's what the song, you're not dragging them through this dark period you're still putting this artistic part of yourself rooted in that up for display. And sometimes that makes me really insecure. All right. I, and I don't, I don't have that. I want to, okay. I want to throw something in here. Cause I don't, you're writing stuff. You're, I, you're, you, you've got these things that have come out of the cauldron of your own experiences. I'm playing old Joe Clark or something. I don't know if that makes it any different. With early Con- eighth notes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, Connie Ellisor didn't write old Joe Clark though. For you to play she wrote some complicated stuff mark wrote complicated stuff for you to play i'll tell you when for me it's as simple as this it is as simple as this am i ready to do what needs to be done do i have a certain amount of manageable risk that can give me that rush that i enjoy and can i simply relax and express myself with as little thought as possible and just be lost in a in a, in a fluid of feeling and 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 it's like a i like that hey this is totally on subject, and I mentioned to Aaron that maybe we ought to just do a podcast about this. But I, <laughs> I came across a, uh, a a paper that was released by a uh, neuroscience researcher, <clears throat> and I'll tell you the website when I get to the end of this if this intrigues anyone and they want to check it out. It's it's long, but it's cool. So I'm I'm reading from the abstract, the abstract being the document that's released for a research paper, uh, just half of a paragraph right now. And I want you guys to see how this applies. Uh, the, the research article is called new developments in neuroscience can benefit the learning and performance of music. And now if that doesn't get our attention, <laughs> I don't know what's going to. So skipping some of it, following a short introduction, the article discusses the development of ego boundaries and their relevance to young aspiring musicians, as well as the close relation to self-esteem this is followed by a short explanation of the psychodynamic processes underlying interpersonal interaction and relation. Right brain function and development and trauma is discussed as its links to music are highlighted. The issue of fear and learned helplessness in musicians is also considered briefly. 
A discussion on the impact of fear on musicians' memory follows. The paper concludes by showing that while brain pathology can be associated with creativity, creative processes in and of themselves are not pathological. Throughout, special reference is made to aspects that have particular relevance to previously disadvantaged music learners. Goodness gracious. It's Mm -hmm. fascinating stuff that's being studied. And listening to you guys talk, I keep thinking about this paper. Yeah, why don't you explain that to me like I'm five? Because even words like pathology, I don't have any previous experience to help me make a cohesive, you know. Well, think of the, you know the word pathological liar. What would a pathological lie? All I know is they supposedly believe what they're saying. I don't even know if that's true. Well, the brain pathology has them set up to where they're going to lie. I don't know what pathology means. You mean? Well, let's look up. Oh, my gosh. Dart, but I would like to do a podcast where we just read through this paper and look up words and talk about it. I read your little, uh, you sent me the abstract this morning and I read it and I well, you sent it yesterday, I guess. I read it this morning, and I, I immediately went back to sleep. <laughs> Pathology is just the science of the causes and effects of disease. Oh, I like that. So there's Especially the branch of medicine that deals with the laboratory examination of samples of body tissue for diagnostic. Yeah, but they're talking about a, mental, a, a, a type of mental approach that could be considered a disease. Or- right. A pathological line. Okay, as a seriously, brain. are you able to to look at that um, and <laughs> explain it to me like I'm five, or maybe we could do that on the next podcast? No, I would like to do that on the next podcast. All right. Sweet. Yeah, because I didn't get yeah. that at all. This was an experiment. I think it would be fun. And I think if there's a word that someone once clarified, we've got the dictionary right here in front of us all the time. We can just do it. Uh <laughs> having read things like this makes me believe we can get better at some of the things that plague us. Well, I like I that. All, right. I think all of us, we're good musicians and we're putting the time into our instruments. Dude, now you're selling me on this. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm the oldest of this trio of knuckleheads. And uh, as I've mentioned before, it's that learning some of this stuff that Aaron and I are working on. It's challenging for me, not because physically it's hard, because I think I've developed my skills so that right. most everything Aaron's asked me to do, it's just there's a lot of things in succession that have my you know little changes. And specifically, there are patterns that, I mean, actual physical patterns that I'm needing to learn to play on my hammer dulcimer when it's a lot easier to just go out and play I'll Fly Away and make people happy. You know, so there has to be something else. There has to be another reason why... Why am I going to learn this complicated thing when I really could wear overalls and a straw hat and probably be more marketable? <laughs> you <laughs> You've know, got just, some personal baggage with this one that you could probably separate uh, just out. You've I, heard think, me say I think it Steve got offended with the overalls comment. I did a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about marketing. You guys have heard this before. but the You're the one who's always playing I'll Fly Away. I don't even play that hardly. Oh, see, yeah. You're the one comment. That's the that's the sign. That's, I'm just saying that we can fall into stereotypes. Having street perform for hundreds and hundreds of hours. That's right. And getting to know what people think when they walk up and they know nothing about your instruments. You need to learn from that. There's there's precedence. And if you fall into people's stereotypes, it's easier for you to market yourself. 
But if you don't want to do that and you do it, you're going to burn out on music. Yeah, but here's what I don't like is when I, and I'm not saying at all that you're doing this right now, but if I play five fiddle tunes in a row and a waltz and I happen to have, you know, overalls on and I got to listen to, there's somebody else who's saying he's just playing those fiddle tunes. He's wearing those overalls. You know, it's like they don't realize that I actually enjoy the overalls and the fiddle tunes. I love you. But I don't care what you think other people think. Well, you ju- you right now you're trying to get me to care about what you think about what I think about what other people think. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's because he's still the one. Still the one. Still the one. Yeah. <laughs> Scratch my itch. Still the one. And I always wish. We're still having fun. Well, that was an easy way to diffuse that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve and I, we always break into song <laughs> Well, that's if you call that song. <laughs> no, what you said something that sold me at the beginning, and then you lost me again. What'd you say? You said we all would like to be you able to change things. We that... can all get better at the things that we're not. My good at. Yeah. goodness, that's a great lead end to, to, right there. Sometimes next it week. takes. <laughs> yeah, next week. Sometimes it takes allowing your paradigm to be shifted just a little bit, and. I'm not saying that this is a paradigm shift, but it might be just a little bit when you begin to realize the deterministic nature of the brain and the fact that you have patterns that you execute and things that... Yeah, but I don't agree with you about all that. (laughs) (laughs) Can we get back to that thing that was like, we're going to change the... What is that again? We're going to change the things that... You said we can get better at the things that we're not good at. Goodness, do I like that. Okay, but it means admitting that some of the ways that you're doing things might need to be changed. Well, sure. In a moment, we're going to be talking about cognitive dissonance. See? (laughs) When you guys said pogs, I was thinking cognitive dissonance, honestly. (laughs) I had that as a parent. You know, my 11-year-old son going, Dad, can we buy this bag of cardboard cutouts with a little picture on them for $17. You're like, no. <laughs> and you're like, I want to support the things my son's into, but this is just ridiculous. Gosh, do you, you know expensive. how expensive. Remember that? Uh, well, I mean, I was in elementary school. I had no concept of, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. You know what I'd like to do? End this now. I want to be able to change certain things about myself that I think need to be changed. All right. Yeah, there you go. I'm, me too. I want to change things about you that need to be changed too. <laughs> Dude, you're the... You know what I almost did? What? I almost just wanted to call you names. <laughs> changes. Aaron's breaking into song now. I'm just trying to diffuse the tension. All right. I don't really... There's no tension. Yeah, There's no tension. Here's the deal. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to be uh, honest, but um, I, that doesn't mean I don't ever lie. <laughs> I, I think the, uh, if anybody's still listening. Nobody is. Nobody's listening, but that's okay. We're, we're going we're gonna to wrap up in a minute if you need to go check the water that's boiling. And let's start doing advertising at the top of the podcast. As opposed to the end of it. Yeah, we're not good at that either. But I think the... Uh, the slightly contentious moments that you and I have don't have to do with honesty. They have to do with too much honesty. 
Well, I'll be honest with you. My phone battery is like at 2%. You got to go. I love you guys. I do. Honestly, I love you too. I do. I love you guys. Have a good week. If you see, I, wait, I don't like to say I love you only because somebody else said it. Well, I don't I expect you, really, you to say if it. If you really love someone, you'll tweet it at them. <laughs> yeah, hashtag. Yeah, love you. Bye. <laughs>